This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. I was in the uh, what was called the Complex Crimes Unit in uh, Seattle, Washington, and uh, we just did not have any corruption cases. And although that's good for a city, it was a little bit of a morale buster. This is an assistant U.S. attorney named Mark Chutko. The U.S. attorney in Seattle, when I told him I wanted to transfer to the Detroit office, he's told me that he wanted to get me a mental status exam. Upon coming here to Detroit, it was somewhat actually stunning to see the juxtaposition. There was quite a bit of corruption. It was uh, what we call a target-rich environment. So the the relationship with uh, Mark began sort of by default. And this is an FBI agent named Bob Beckman. He was my guy and I was his guy, and we began having meetings and getting together and became very close friends, actually. Beckman and Chutko started working on corruption investigations together. And at the time, Detroit just happened to have a new mayor. What did you think of Kwame Kilpatrick before he began the investigation? I, I thought he was actually a, a breath of fresh air for the city. He was considered a, a rising star in political circles. And there was a lot of optimism that surrounded him in, in 2002. And uh, shortly after that, the wheels basically came off and it was scandal after scandal after scandal. Rockstar-style entourages, pricey red Lincoln Navigator, exotic hotel rooms on his city-issued credit card. And by 2004, we'd accumulated enough intelligence that we were able to open a corruption case on Kwame Kilpatrick. And of course, the feds had to come up with a code name for the operation. So we were trying to think of something that had nothing to do with anything. And we were leafing through a, a magazine, and we read about an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical called Bombay Dreams. None of us had ever seen it. Had nothing to do with anything. It was, okay, that's what it is. Bombay Dreams. One, two, three, now! In previous episodes, we told you about how Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick faced years of scandals and even a few stints in jail before kicking off a book tour. But almost that entire time, a federal corruption investigation was simmering under the surface. Today on the show, Operation Bombay Dreams. I'm John White. Welcome to Crime Town. Prison were released its most recognizable inmate. The process of releasing inmate Kilpatrick begins at 6.30 tomorrow morning. Today is the, the first, first day of the rest of your lives. <laughs> it developed a whole new life and constantly feeling comfortable and, and really uh, happy and joyful in that life.
Mayor Kilpatrick lived an extravagant lifestyle. I mean, he had the largest supply of high fashion, custom tailored suits that I've ever seen. Not long after Kwame Kilpatrick was first elected mayor, his taste for the high life caught the attention of FBI agent Bob Beckman and Assistant U.S. Attorney Mark Chutko. Agent Beckman and I are, are government servants, public servants like he was, and we pretty much had five suits that got circulated <laughs> week to week. And I don't recall him ever repeating wearing the same article of clothing. How was Kwame Kilpatrick financing his wardrobe? Chutko knew just where to look. So we followed the paper trail his, of his uh, finances, his uh, bank records, his uh, credit card records, and uh, we found some interesting things in there. Prior to the time that he was the mayor of the city, he had worked as a uh, representative of the state house of the state of Michigan. And he had a um, paycheck that he would get on a biweekly basis wired into his account. And from there, when he needed things, he would either write checks for expenses or he would withdraw cash from his bank account. And that's pretty much how most people uh, live their lives. And then that all changed once he became the mayor of the city of Detroit. After Kwame was elected mayor, he started depositing large amounts of cash into his personal bank account. They were round number $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 deposits. This was uh, financial behavior consistent with a drug dealer or somebody that had illicit proceeds, and it certainly wasn't consistent with the banking transactions of a public servant. We compared that to his inflow of income from his only legitimate source, which was his um, payroll check from the city of Detroit, and that showed a differential of $840,000. That is, there was $840,000 more in Kwame's account than there should have been. Mark Chutko and Bob Beckman needed to figure out where all that cash was coming from. This was not an easy target. I would have loved to wire somebody up and send them into the, into the mayor's office. We'd be done with this in six months. But um, the mayor had this enormous uh, flotilla of bodyguards, and uh, it, you know, one of their responsibilities was to sweep the place for bugs. He idolized um, a previous mayor of the city, Coleman Young, who had been wiretapped. I have been hounded for 10 goddamn years with allegations, rumors, and not one concrete charge. And Mayor Kilpatrick knew that, and he was quite sensitive that that's not going to ever happen to me. Then, one day, Agent Beckman says he got a tip. We received an anonymous letter about how bribes were being paid at uh, Cobo Hall in our convention center by an exclusive contractor named Carl Cato. Carl Cato had a contract to manage electrical and janitorial services at the convention center. In exchange for that contract, he paid a commission to the city. Which at the time was about 17% to the city of Detroit. Well, Cato ended up being in a position where he, he 
dealt with public officials all the time. He would wine and dine them. Cato convinced these officials that they should lower the city's commission, which allowed him to keep more of his profits. And what did these officials get in return? He would give paper bags full of cash to the various public officials that were in this chain of supervision above him. So Agent Beckman decided to try to flip Carl Cato. We confront him with the evidence. He agrees to cooperate, and he agrees to cooperate significantly by wearing a wire. Care of that. And that was the work that I did for city, and they didn't pay me. Carl Cato wired up and went to meet his main contact at a local restaurant. Someone he claimed was picking up a lot of those bags of cash. Someone very close to Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. The mayor's dad, uh, his name was Bernard Kilpatrick. Bernard, for clean, for clean. I'm trying to get back and make you whole. I ain't gonna be able to get all that, you know that. The feds had a plan. Carl Cato would complain to Bernard that the city owed him money from previous contracts. They didn't pay me for it. And I paid every single, my part, I paid you, I paid you 100%. So Bernard told Cato he could fix the problem, but it would cost him. I'll give you $160,000, check or cash? Check, I'll give you $160,000 check. The mayor's dad admitted to collecting well over $100,000 from Cato. That's not normal. That's not the way normal business people do things, all right? The reason he has to give you all this money is because your son's the mayor. When Kwame got elected, you had started your own consultant business, right? Yeah. What was that called? Maestro. That was my father's nickname. This is Bernard Kilpatrick, Kwame's father. He'd worked for decades in local politics, and when his son became mayor, he started a business called Maestro Associates. And what did the company do? What kind of business? Consulting. Consulting is kind of a generic term for a lot of things, but what it, was it that you did? Okay. When I started my company, I was on a, I say a first name basis. I could talk to anybody, the president of the city council, the governor. I really had a, a, a kind of a background for this kind of stuff. So you were connected? I was, I was connected, super connected. Man, I started charging, I was shocked what these folks would pay. I made two phone calls and made $20,000. And so what are you actually saying on those phone calls? Like what specifically kind of, does this kind of consulting involve? What it involves talking to somebody about the merits of some people that they weigh in to see who they gonna choose to do this work. And what kind of work? It doesn't matter. Consulting is the ability to bring people together to see if we can work a deal out. All my client want is a deal. Shaki. Dr. BK, how are you? What's happening? You all right, brother? Eventually, the FBI collected enough evidence to get a judge to sign a warrant for a wiretap. Here's Agent Bob Beckman. We had tapped uh, the phone of the, the mayor's dad one of the really fun things about a wiretap is you know, people talk in code 
they can talk in code for weeks. It only takes one slip up to decode all the rest of that. So it's sort of like a big chess game. Every time I t- turn one way, I find a snake in the road out there, man. <laughs> and there was one particular businessman, he's saying, how are things looking for the party? How are things looking for the party? And he keeps saying it over and over again. He's paying Bernard Kilpatrick to go to some party, which makes no sense. Start over and back him up and start over. What is it? What are they trying to say here? You know, we kept listening and listening and trying to put together different clues. And what happened was this particular businessman, he'd been saying party for weeks. How's the party looking? And then at one point, Bernard Kilpatrick was kind of half asleep and he said, the what? And he goes, you know, and then he says, Sinegro. So Agent Beckman did what all great investigators do. He Googled Sinegro. And then it all kind of coalesced at that point. We, it decoded everything else they were talking about. Sinegro was, a, it's the world's largest processor of sludge from wastewater. So you flush your toilet, it's got to go somewhere. This company reclaims that water and make fertilizer out of it, or they burn it in a smelter, or they take it to a landfill. So Sinegro now has this deal with the Detroit Water and Sewerage Department, a $1.2 billion uh, contract over 25 years. But before the Sinegro contract could proceed, the mayor and the city council would have to approve it. And around this time, the FBI started hearing a new name on the wiretap. I'm going to meet with them. I'm going to tell Jay, I ain't called him back yet. He called. We ended up uh, getting a break in the case where we're listening to wiretaps, and they were talking about a guy that they called J.R. It didn't take long for Agent Beckman to figure out that J.R. was a vice president at Sinegro named Jim Rosendahl. When I first uh, got involved with this contract and the mayor's office and the city, People were crawling out of the woodwork to get involved. Um, Everybody felt that they were owed something. This is Jim Rosendahl. Uh, During the course of um, securing this contract with the the city, I went to a fundraiser at the mayor's home, and I talked to the mayor, and he asked if I would uh, meet with his father, who was a lobbyist. Um, and would work with us on securing this contract. Jim Rosendahl and Bernard Kilpatrick started working together to push the Sinegro deal through. It started out, we would meet at the bar, we would have hors d'oeuvres and a few drinks, then it went to dinners. Um, Pretty soon it was going to football games and baseball games. And eventually, Rosendahl says, he started paying bribes to Bernard. It went from in a shoebox to paper bags. It was concealed in in every way and shape. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. By 2007, the federal government was several years into a corruption investigation of Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick and his associates. They had recently learned that Jim Rosendahl, the vice president of a sludge processing company named Sinegro, was paying bribes to try and win a city contract. So FBI agent Bob Beckman got back on the wire. And we hear a call between Jim Rosendahl and the mayor's dad, Maestro. And they say, let's get get together and talk about the deal. They said they were going to meet at the original Pancake House in Birmingham, Michigan. And we're thinking, well, you'd like to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. So we got one of these affidavits done. To plant a a bug. To plant a bug, uh, yeah. At the original Pancake House. My wife uh, went to high school with the uh, manager of the Pancake House. Again, Assistant U.S. Attorney Mark Chutko. I asked her to get the phone number and the, the address for this manager, and he agreed to allow us to go and use the pancake house to, to plant a, a bug. You know, we sent a team in there overnight the night before, and they run microphones in there. We bugged one particular booth. The manager says, ew, that could be a problem. The Pancake House is probably the most popular breakfast place in all of Southeast Michigan. And it usually has lines out the door. And it's um, regulated by a a small Asian American woman who decides where everybody is gonna sit. And she will not let you sit down till your whole party's there. And he says, frankly, we're all a little scared of her. So the time comes. We're at the bug booth, and there's two FBI agents sitting there, and they're drinking coffee and looking at the front door, and they're getting ready to run away as soon as the guy shows up, you know. And uh, I'm sitting in a van in the parking lot. I'm listening to the, the FBI radio, and I hear surveillance saying, okay, here he comes. He's coming up Woodward Avenue. He's pulled into the parking lot. I call the manager on the cell phone, and I say, okay, here he comes. He's wearing a white jacket. The manager goes over to this hostess, takes the menus from her, says, I'll take this one and he waves the Jim Rosendahl over and uh, hands him the menu. The two FBI agents grab their coffee cups and run away from the bug booth, and he sits them down at the bug booth. And then we're all high-fiving each other in a van outside. And then Maestro and his girlfriend are an hour and a half late. All you hear is his hostess yelling at Rosendahl, you can't sit here by yourself. Where's the rest of your party? threatening to throw him outside and screw everything all up. Finally, he shows up. Maestro sits down with his girlfriend, and they talk about their deal. I mean, when you, you meet with these guys next week, straight there, is that what you will? I mean, I can't tell them what you're involved. I know. <laughs> they were going to create a trucking company. They would have a real trucking company that's one of uh, Maestro's clients that's paying him these cash consulting fees. You get paid a lump sum upon uh, facilities, the construction piece, and then you get paid another lump sum, not like at the end of the construction, and then another lump sum. 
they're going to charge a 50% markup. We're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars. And this was all going to go to Bernard Kilpatrick with 10% to his girlfriend for administrative fees. Yeah, so it'll be two separate agreements. And we'll have one agreement between them. It's an obscene display of greed. Paying this guy 50% of the entire sludge hauling contract for nothing. I know this is, this is boring and illegal. We better not y'all doing this. We don't need FBI. Do you remember meeting uh, Jim Rosendahl at the original Pancake House? Do you remember that? Mm hmm. Um, that was wired, right? Yes. Yeah. Again, Bernard Kilpatrick. He had promised the money immediately. I did what I was supposed to do, and he kept bullshitting with the money. Kwame didn't trust him at all. This guy came to me five times. I can, you know, you guys like Vegas. We can fly you down and do a weekend. And Kwame said, man, I wouldn't fly to Toledo with that guy. So, you know, he, he, and I said, you know, I, you're absolutely right. He is shady. I think by then I knew something was coming. By then, I knew something was coming. Until now, Jim Rosendahl was just a guy trying to land a contract with the city by paying bribes to the mayor's father. But after meeting Bernard that day at the original Pancake House, Rosendahl's life would take a sharp turn. I pulled him over on the freeway one day. Again, Agent Beckman. And I said, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get in your truck with you. My partner will drive our car back downtown. I'm going to ride down to Detroit with you and keep you from making any phone calls and ruining your chances to cooperate and explain this all to you. When I was approached by the FBI, I thought it was a joke. Again, Jim Rosendahl. This interview is from an FBI training video. I thought they're in a black sedan. I thought it was one of the city cars, but soon figured out after seeing a, a badge and different things like that, that it was the FBI. They wanted to talk to me. I got in his truck. I said, you've been under investigation for months. Your phone's been tapped by the FBI. We know that you're paying bribes. We know that you hatched this plot with, with uh, Bernard Kilpatrick. He was very impressed. He thought we bugged his pancakes. I think I said at the time I'd need to get back with you. Uh, tomorrow I need to speak with my legal counsel. But I kind of knew at that point where, where things were heading. Um, and to be honest, it was probably a little bit of a relief for me um, to bring this thing to a closure because it had taken on a life of its own and had spun out of control. And by the time we got back to the office, he goes, you know, I'm tired of everybody having their hands out and shaking me down. And he said, I'll get my lawyer, but I'm sure I'll end up working with you. And he did. He would still come to town and pay bribes, but this time he had a bunch of recording equipment in his truck and uh, he was working for us. He had several meetings with, with Bernard Kilpatrick. Sometimes Jim Rosendahl would wear a wire when he met with Bernard. Other times, an FBI agent would film the two from a distance. There's one, they're standing in a parking lot over in Greektown. He was uh, unloading a case of Cristal champagne out of his truck and handing it to Bernard Kilpatrick. 
Bernard Kilpatrick wanted this case of Cristal, but then he says, hey, I need a few hundred dollars too. It's Christmas is coming and I gotta buy some Christmas presents for the grandkids. So Rosendahl takes his gum wrapper and he's stuffing hundred dollar bills into this gum wrapper and he hands his gum wrapper to, to Bernard Kilpatrick. I mean, it's just petty greed, you know? Give me the hundred bucks in your pocket. There's one instance where you're seen taking money in a gum wrapper. Do you remember that? I remember that, but I'm saying there wasn't no money in there. Again, Bernard. How much was it? Three hundred dollars. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I don't mean to demean three hundred dollars. Is that was that the Christmas thing at the car? Yeah. 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 They they, they had that on tape. Yeah. It, it was a couple bottles of Cristal. Yeah. I took I took the yeah I took it out of the, his car and put it in the Escalade. That looked horrible. And taking cash concealed in a gum wrapper. That's like a Christmas present. Yeah. But it doesn't look good, right? Oh, it doesn't look good. I would say I would say that. The FBI now had Bernard, the mayor's father, on tape taking cash and gifts. But Agent Beckman wanted to see how far Bernard was willing to go to get his cut. So we tell Rosendahl, you know, just stop paying him. Let's see how this goes, you know, because it makes for great conversation. (laughs) I'm sorry I can't get your phone call at this time. I will be on vacation until January the 7th and will return all phone calls at that time. Thank you. Yeah, man, this is BK. Uh, I'd appreciate a call today. Vacation or no motherfucking vacation. You know, I can't have you telling me that, you know, we should kill the deal. I mean, that just, I can't do that. Bernard threatened to sabotage the Sinegro deal if he didn't get paid. He met Rosendahl at a restaurant to give him a piece of his mind. And then uh, Maestro tells him, hey, we'll see. We'll see how far you get with your processing plant there when it takes you a year or two to get a building permit. So all I'm saying is, if, if people put me in a position where I don't have any options, then I go to the only options I, I have. Mm-hmm. I've been talking a lot of things, but food ain't really one mm-hmm. He's a, just a consultant and a blood relative of the mayor. This guy doesn't work for the city at all, okay? He should not be able to threaten you with withholding a, a building permit. That's absurd. I'm, I'll walk away, but I'll try to blow up the house. If, if you steal my TV and I can't get it, I just blow the house up, blow my TV up too. You can't have it. That's <laughs> just the way I've always been. <laughs> well, I got you to the table. I did that, made this thing happen. And I'm out here in the cold with no money and Y'all get upset because I get mad? He told me you didn't have a check for the day. Last week. You on a check or you on cash? At the restaurant, Rosendahl tried to pay Bernard $2,500 in cash. And Bernard got nervous. What is that? $2,500. No, let's do it, dog. All right, you want a check? All right. A few months later, Bernard met Rosendahl outside his apartment building. The FBI caught the interaction on video. Maestro's there. He's wearing a sweatshirt with a 
it's like a sphinx on the front of it like that. And he's, he's quite a bit taller than Rosendahl, so he's looking down at him. And he steps into an alcove of his apartment building. It's cold in the alcove. You can kind of see their breath. I'm talking, you talking that. Then you take that little 20 pounds and hand it to me in a restaurant. I'm sorry, BK. But listen to me. I don't know why you do shit like that. Okay. I don't ever want anybody to see me take some money. Okay. Okay. I don't ever want anybody to see me take some money from somebody. You know I've done everything that you guys have ever asked me to do. And I want you to know that I mean I care about you guys. That's oh, okay. the only reason I'm doing this. You oh, know what okay. I mean? That's so fine. that's twenty-five. I just ran to the bank and got oh, that up okay. So and that's for me. The mayor told me to work with you. So from here on out, you know, I'm hoping you guys got that all straight yeah, and you're good. So I appreciate what, the, you know, you did here and I, we're all going forward. Okay. Let's not look back. Okay. Thanks, buddy. All right. Take care. By now, word of the federal investigation had gotten back to the mayor's office. Kwame and Bernard Kilpatrick were starting to get suspicious. What up? All right, um, Nathan, I'm on the way to the airport. I just wanted to say something to you. One day, we're up on a wiretap on Bernard Kilpatrick. Again, Agent Beckman. Kwame Kilpatrick is sitting on a private jet. He's getting ready to leave town. And he's trying to call his dad and warn him to stay away from who they call the little white guy. That little guy, you gotta stay away from that little guy for a minute. Little guy. Yeah. He says, I need you to stay away from that little white guy for a minute. And Bernard Kilpatrick is completely confused. He has no idea who Kwame Kilpatrick is talking about. And he starts guessing, and they're both trying to talk in code. It's like a bad episode of The Sopranos. Huh? Bernard Kilpatrick says, you mean the guy from Shy? You know, like we can't figure out what Chicago is. No, him too, but no. Little guy. Yeah, your, your, your favorite white brother. You mean, not, not, you mean Air? Uh, oh, 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 you talking about from up the way? Like Fair State? No. No, you ain't talking about that. And they never do figure this out. And, and Kwame could easily tell his dad, stay away from this guy, and that'd be that. I have no idea. Instead, he doesn't want to say it on the phone because he's trying to hide that relationship and he's trying to hide the warning. I mean, no. If, if Kilpatrick were to say now, hey, there's nothing wrong with this, I was not doing something illegal. Really? Well, why are you talking in code like a mobster on the, on the telephone? Operation Bombay Dreams had been going on for six years. Assistant U.S. Attorney Mark Chutko. I mean, at that time, there had been a lot of talk in the community that there's this cloud hanging over the city that people were aware of the federal investigation. So we wanted to basically get things going so that the city could move on to its next chapter. 
The sweeping 38-count indictment accuses Kwame Kilpatrick and his cohorts of a wide-ranging racketeering conspiracy involving extortion, bribery, and fraud. On December 15, 2010, a federal grand jury indicted Kwame Kilpatrick, Bernard Kilpatrick, and three others with running a criminal enterprise, a racketeering-influenced and corrupt organizations case, or RICO. A 38-count RICO indictment. Now, RICO is used for criminal enterprises and usually against organized crime figures. This is overwhelming. This guy is really in very bad shape. Kwame Kilpatrick was no longer fighting for his political career or his marriage. This time, he was fighting for his freedom against the full force of the federal government. You know, I'm ready for this fight. You know, before I felt so condemned and guilty, because I was. Uh, I cheated. Uh, I lied about it. But this time, I'm not guilty. Um, and I feel very strongly about fighting for myself and fighting for what is right and the truth. The only demand that Bernard Kilpatrick made, <laughs> speaking in third person, was, you better give me my goddamn money. We got a deal, and you better pay my motherfucking money. Did you see any conflict of interest with your son being mayor and your business profiting from that? No. My son being mayor was kind of like a culmination of a lot of work I had put in for years. I didn't see a, a criminal conflict of interest in that. I'm wondering what would have been exploiting that relationship for financial gain and being illegal. Where's the line? The line is operational intent. I never went to Kwame to ask him to help me in my business. I never did that. So you never went to him and said, you know, hey, this guy needs a contract. I'm working with these folks. Absolutely. I, I didn't have to. They're very serious charges. I mean, Rico oh, a very yeah, heavy like, like sentence. Organized crime. Yeah. It says you are part of a criminal enterprise. Right. The Kilpatrick criminal enterprise. Absolutely. All of that. And I remember saying, well, this is such Bullshit. This is such bullshit. Next episode, Kwame Kilpatrick goes on trial. Former mayor of Detroit, Kwame Kilpatrick, says he is not going to prison again. This just a week before hundreds of prospective jurors will report to the federal courthouse for jury selection in Kilpatrick's public corruption trial. Primetown is Mark Smerling and Zach Stewart-Pontier. This season is made in partnership with Gimlet Media and Spotify. This episode was produced by Samantha Lee, Austin Mitchell, Rob Zipko, Soraya Shockley, and me, John White. The senior producer is Drew Nellis. Editing by Zach Stewart-Pontier and Mark Smerling. Fact-checking by Jennifer Blackman. This episode was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Sam Baer. Original music this season composed by Homer Steinweiss. We recorded some original music at Rust Belt Studios in Detroit, in partnership with Detroit Sound Conservancy. 
Special thanks to Carlton Goals and Reese Piranahead Heard. Additional music by John Kuziak, Kenny Kuziak, and John Ivins. Additional mixing by Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Politicians in My Eyes by Death. Our credit music this week is Walk on Jagged Air by The Dirt Bombs. Archival research by Brennan Reese. Some of the audio in this episode appears courtesy of Tim and Tobias Smith in their film, KMK, a documentary of Kwame Kilpatrick. Additional archival material courtesy of WXYZ. Show art and design by James Cabrera and Elise Harbin. Thanks to the Detroit Free Press, Peter Batia, Jim Schaefer, Mary Schrader, Melanie Maxwell, Max White, Randy Lundquist, Peter Carmanis, and everyone who shared their stories with us. Detroit's an amazing place, and we're honored to tell a small part of its story. Alex Bloomberg is the podfather. Alex, it's JW. I'd appreciate a call today. Vacation or no motherfucking vacation. Y'all sounding like FBI, but it's okay. Oh, no, it's okay. We know we have to ask. <laughs> I know y'all have to ask. We're yeah, trying to, we're trying know, to do the whole picture, right? Right. And and it just as long as it, it as long as, it, as you understand that we looking at this thing. One person's looking through a telescope this end, and the other person looking through that end. Well, that's, that's why we have to ask you these okay. questions. Okay, I understand. I, I understand. I understand. And, and your comments on all of the yeah all the allegations. Um. So, what is what is Sinagro? Sinagro. Sinagro. Excuse me.